How are you guys doing? Good to be with you this morning. Who went to the beach yesterday? Raise your hand. All right. It's a lot, like 20 degrees cooler. Whose power went out? Raise your hand. All right. What'd you, and what'd you do if the power went out? Ice cream? Oh, you screamed. Oh, got it. Did you get ice cream too, at least? <laughs> who, who lives with, and you don't have an air conditioner at your house? Yeah. Kevin's, Kevin's third service, one of our leaders. I don't even know what you would do today. All right. Well, today we're going to get into the word of God. John chapter 16, verse 5 through 15 to continue our series uh, through John 13 through 17. Have you guys ever had the advantage in something? Do you know what, it, do you know what that means? Like, for example, maybe you played basketball with the four-year-old and you were literally, like not even figured to, literally twice their height. That, that's, the, that's a height advantage, right? Or maybe, have you guys ever had someone take advantage of you? Like they had an advantage over you? Like maybe you've tried wrestling your dad before yeah. and you're like, oh man, how are dads like the strongest people in the world? It's insane. They're like, they're like hulks, and it, right? Somehow they're the strongest man alive. Well, right, to, to have an advantage over someone is to have something that, that is better, right? It, it is in someone's best interest to be tall when they play basketball or strong when they w- wrestle. It gives them the edge. It, it's more beneficial, right? It's more profitable for that person. Make sense? Maybe, have you ever heard of home field advantage? Maybe those are in the sports realm, right? To have home field advantage, it means you're not playing an away game, you're playing at home, so you have the advantage. Normally, you'd have fans in the crowd, so that's what kind of, you know, makes it exciting. But this idea of advantage, this is our key word in our study today in John chapter 15. We're going to see the advantage that the disciples will have when Jesus leaves. It kind of sounds weird because you would think Jesus is leaving. The disciples are now going to be at a disadvantage. However, what we're going to see today, it's quite the opposite. Now, pretty exciting. Uh, Everyone hold up your Bibles. I want to see them. I love seeing your Bibles. Hopefully you bring your own Bible. If not, no, no shame, but you should. Uh, it's exciting. I love the Bible, but today we're in, uh, you can put them down. We're in our seventh study in the series that we've started a couple months ago. This is our seventh study in John, in the book of John. We started in John chapter 13. Do you guys remember that? I know there's, there's so many new faces. You might have not even been with us when we started. And now we're today, we're going to be in John chapter 16, about halfway through in the middle. And we just have about a chapter and a half to go, and then we'll move on to something else. But guys, this is the best way to study the Bible. You hear me? To, to take apart and, and go through it consistently. Because you guys ever play Bible roulette? Hopefully not. Maybe you, you wake up in the morning, you're like, ah, I don't know what to read. Ah, okay, boom. There, that's Bible roulette. And then the next morning, you do it again. You see, that's not how the Bible is intended to be read. And so my hope, and you might say, well, why do we go through like a series? Why do we have to like build on one another? Because that's how it's supposed to be, right? In our series that we've been looking at in John, this is one 
continuous time. It is one night that all of these things are said. You and I, though, week after week, are unpacking it. And we're able to see what Jesus had in mind for the disciples and see the bigger picture. And so this is how you should be reading the Bible at home. Maybe not this slow, uh, but that you should take a book of the Bible and read through it. Start in chapter one and and when it ends. And, and because it goes together, okay? The, the Bible is not like a dictionary where one page doesn't have to do with another. Does that make sense? It is, it is a story and there are continual uh, thoughts, thought processes. And so, uh, you know, we'll be in John 16 today. And, you know, this, throughout this portion of scripture that we've been studying today, very, it's very thick, is it not? As we've been going through, there's just so much jam-packed in there. And Jesus, he oftentimes repeats himself about different subjects, about different ideas, uh, because he really wants to get the disciples prepared as possible for the future. Because his physical presence won't be with him, with them like he has. And so there's sometimes where, if you've noticed our studies, there's these connections. Like today, we're going to be talking primarily about the Holy Spirit. But then in John chapter 14, a couple chapters ago, we also talked about the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is building upon uh, each word and each uh, time that he's speaking with the disciples. Make sense? So today we're going to be in John 16. You guys have your Bibles open? All right. So last week we, we looked at that message about the opposition that the disciples would face from the world. Do you guys remember that? I'm sorry, not last week. That was Charlie Campbell the week before that. Uh, and we, we talked about how you and I are not of this world. And so you and I will face opposition in this world. But it is the Holy Spirit who is going to be the deciding factor. He's going to be that key for you and I to be able to stand in the face of of opposition. Do you remember when I had some of you stand and, and I prayed over you to, to be that witness before the world? Well, today is that continuation of that thought, okay? Look at verse five with me. Jesus says this, he says, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The disciples were sad by the words of Jesus. But verse seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, if you have your Bibles and it's your own Bible, you might want to highlight that word, advantage that I go away. It's better. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. God, we know this is your word. And we thank you that we can come in an air-conditioned room. 
Lord, as Pastor Jack has been saying quite often lately, we thank you that for the Christian, this is as hot as it gets. Lord, you're a good God, and, and, and we thank you for salvation and eternal life. Lord, as we continue through the study of your word in the book of John, I pray for each student listening, each person in this room, even myself, Lord, that even as I'm giving the message that you would, would pour into me what you want me to take away and go and do. Lord, that for us in this room, we wouldn't just get together and hear your word, but we would go out and do your word. And so, Lord, impress upon our heart what you want for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. So there, this was a very hard truth for the disciples to swallow that Jesus was leaving. This is what we've been talking about this whole, this whole series, this whole time. That he was leaving and he wasn't going to be there to take the blows from the world. And at this point for the disciples, they could only think of their loss in the face of what Jesus wanted to prepare them for. But this whole study today is, gonna sh is Jesus showing the disciples it's better. It is to your advantage. And so uh, we're going to see this in verses 5 through 7 that this will be better. This is what Jesus wants to convince the disciples of, what he wants to assure them of, what he wants them to believe, that me leaving is better, okay? So look at verse five, and sorry, look at verse, yeah, five, six, and seven in your Bibles, and, 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 he's, and he's preparing them, saying, look, I know sorrow has filled your heart. I know I'm leaving, but then verse seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. You see, Jesus sought to assure the disciples that this was going to be better. You know, we saw back in John chapter 14 that Jesus had perceived that the news that he shared with them gave them that heaviness of heart, that they were filled with sorrow. And so even back in John 14, he desired to, to tell them about the peace of God, how it was going to come into their life and it was going to be that sustaining force. And here again, we see Jesus brings this up again. He knows that this is something he needs to explain further. You see, he, could, he, he looked around at the 11 disciples and he saw, man, they're, they're sad. Their heart is filled with sorrow. That the disciples were so focused on the sorrow they felt that they weren't getting the great promises that Jesus was trying to communicate them. And so Jesus even has to assure them. He says, look, I'm telling you the truth. And of course, it's Jesus. He literally can't not tell the truth. He, he has to tell the truth. Now, does this mean that, that he thought the disciples thought he was lying? No, but it, it means when we see in verse seven, when he says, I'm telling you the truth, it's the idea that what Jesus is saying is a difficult thing to believe. It's a difficult thing to believe that Jesus' departure would actually be not just good, but better that it would be to their advantage. Do, do you guys hear me? Today, it is better for the church, it is better for us, it is better for the world that Jesus is not physically here. Do you guys hear me? It is better. Well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? You see, naturally, this is the one thing you and I want as a believer, is it not? that the one thing that you and I want as a Christian is to see Jesus. Aren't you excited for that day? That you get to not just, that, that you know faith is only a temporary thing? There's gonna be a time where you don't have to have faith anymore because you see him, 
because you hear his voice. You are able to, to, to hug him, to be with him physically. Not this like spiritually weird thing. No, heaven is a, in eternity, it's going to be a physical place. Okay, and we are going to be with the physical man, Jesus, who we've read about, who we've studied about, who we've worshipped. And that is a good thing. That is a good desire. It's a longing desire. But we might think today, we might think, man, it would be so much easier if Jesus was here. Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever had that? I know I have, where it's like, man, if I could just see him, and, and if he was just with me and, and he went to school with me, then he could just like remind me and he could be with me and, and things would be so much easier. It would be easier to live a godly life. It would be easier to live the life that he wants for me. Jesus says, it's not true. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. And that is our key word today. It means that it is better it's more beneficial. It is more profitable that Jesus ascended into the heaven. You see, Jesus right now, the physical man Jesus, is at the right hand of the throne of God, the Bible describes to us. He is in heaven. And uh, we could do another study on what that is. But the advantage, it's like the advantage of being tall in basketball. It's, it's better. It's more beneficial or strong renew wrestling or being on your home field. The idea is that it is better. Do you guys, do you guys hear me? How many times have I said the word better already? It's because I want you to get it. Now look to your neighbor and say, it's better. Now look to your other neighbor and say, it's better. It is to your advantage. It is better. You see, maybe, maybe this will help you illustrate. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life and in our world is greater than Jesus's physical body being here. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit's presence in our world, in us, is greater than, it is better than Jesus's physical body. Now, am I saying that the Holy Spirit is, is greater than Jesus? No, they are equal. They are uh, one in the Godhead, okay? It's the Trinity, which is, again, another study. But think about this. When Jesus took on human skin, he voluntarily set aside his omnipresence when he was here on earth to take on the body of a human. You see, Jesus existed before the point that he was born. Did you know that? And at that point, he was omnipresent. There was times in the Old Testament that we would see the pre-incarnate, meaning the pre-human uh, you know, Jesus coming into the world. And at that point, he was omnipresent. You see, but when as he's in his physical body, it's different than the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit did not take on human flesh as Jesus did. Rather than just being with a handful of disciples at once, because that's, you know, when Jesus was here on earth, he was only with, he could only be with so many people at one time, that he, that he would live in one space. He wasn't in Jerusalem and in Galilee at one time. He was held because of his voluntary uh, giving up of his right as God, put himself in a human body, and so he's only in one spot. But you see, the Holy Spirit is able to indwell every believer all over the world at one time. You guys understand? So even just the locationality of things by nature is better. And you know, in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, the disciples were sent out by two that, that for ministry, that Jesus said, all right, you disciples, I'm going to split you up by two and I'm going to send you out for ministry. 
You see, Jesus couldn't go with each set of the two. That Jesus hung back and did different things, but he couldn't be like, okay, I'm with Andrew and, and Peter, and then today I'm with James and John, and, and he could be there at one time. No, he, he was bound by his body. But if the Holy Spirit hadn't dwelt them at that time, then he would be with each set. Does that make sense? You guys understand the locationality of things? I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounds good. So, you know, we need to remember that Jesus has a worldwide mission. Do you know that? Like outside of even Chino Hills, outside of California, outside of America, it is a worldwide mission. And to win the world for Jesus, that's the point, to be salt and light in a dark world. And this was to be multiplied by the power of the spirit as people were added to the body of Christ. You see, but the Holy Spirit, it's not that the Holy Spirit's better than Jesus, but it's that by the nature of who the Holy Spirit and who Jesus is, uh, it is better for us this way. They are completely one in the Godhead, but Romans 8, 9 describes the Holy Spirit in this way. Romans 8, 9 says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of well, who? Spirit of who? What does it say? Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You, you, so you see, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, yes, are, 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 are different, but they are the same. The Holy Spirit isn't Jesus, and Jesus isn't the Holy Spirit, but they are ultimately connected in the Godhead. It is the Trinity, and don't even attempt to understand it because it is mind-blowing. We'll, we'll, I don't even think in eternity we'll have a full grasp of what that is. But nonetheless, we know that God comes to us as the Holy Spirit, as Jesus, as the Father. This is how God wants us to relate to him. And so he says that the helper will come and Jesus will send him personally. Look at verse seven in your Bibles. Jesus says, I'm going to leave. This is better. Even though for the disciples, they're like, no, Jesus, you can't leave. He says, it's better because when I get to heaven, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will this time not be limited by a human body. You see, this is still true for you and I today. Everyone look at me. It is to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit in us rather than Jesus by us. Because think about this. For, you know, I, at least me, I envy the disciples, right? I'll think about them, man, like, dude, they were with Jesus. What was it like? What was it like to camp out by the Sea of Galilee with Jesus? What was it like to wake up in the morning and, and Jesus and see him praying? Wouldn't that be amazing? But you and I actually have an advantage. That, that Jesus is not just with us, that the spirit of Christ, God dwells inside of us. It means that there is a deeper connection that we can even have with God. You guys understanding? It's awesome. But what does this look like? What, what really is the advantage? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives and in the world? Well, Jesus goes on from this point after telling them, hey, this is better. And he says, and he says, and he begins to tell them that two different things, okay? And, and these are the two things we're going to look at today. First, he tells them about the role of the Spirit in the world. And then he also tells them about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? So there's a difference. There's the role of the Holy Spirit in the world to non-believers and what he does. 
And he came as a result of Jesus going up to heaven, but then also in our lives personally. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the role of the Holy Spirit in our world. Okay, and then we'll get to the second point. So even if you miss it, you'll see it soon enough. And we see this in, in verses 8 through 11. Look at verse 8 with me in your Bibles. You guys good this morning? Yes? Tracking? Is this boring you? Should we just stop? Should we just close our Bibles and just hang out? No, right? This, this is the word of God. Okay, look at verse 8. The, verse 8 says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the world? Well, Jesus gives us three things pretty clearly. But the, there is a major overarching uh, thing, role, that the Holy Spirit plays, okay? And that is to convict, okay? He convicts in three different areas, and that's the sin, righteousness, and judgment, which we saw in verse 8. But that the major role of the spirit in the world is to convict. Does anyone know what the word, word convict means? Don't, don't raise your hand, but just think about it. To convict, it means to show to be guilty or to expose. It means to, to show one's fault or, or to bring someone something or someone to the attention of. And it's more than just, okay, exposing, like, hey, uh, you know, there's this conviction but it's literally to convince something, someone of something. And see, the Holy Spirit's role in the world is to expose and to convince. convince. That's what this word convict means. In John chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Do you guys see that word Exposed. That is the same word as convict. It is to bring to light. You see, what does the Holy Spirit do to, in the life of non-believers? He, he knocks on the door of their heart. He, he reminds them, he convinces them, he exposes who they are and who they are before God. And he does this in three different ways. He, can, he, he does this with sin. He does this with the idea of righteousness and of judgment. Okay? And you can find that there in verse 8, that these are the three main areas that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. So I want you to write it down. Number one, sin. And he explains this. In verse 9, he says, of sin, because they have not believed in me, that they do not believe in me. You see, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the life of an unbeliever is not just to convict them of any sin. It's not just to expose and saying, hey, you are a sinner, but specifically talking to them about the sin of unbelief, the one sin that will keep a man from forgiveness of God and the gift of eternal life. You know, there's only one sin that will keep you out of heaven, right? There's only one sin that will keep you from the presence of God, and it is the sin of unbelief. It is the sin of a lifelong rejection of the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, you can't fulfill that sin until you die. And at that point, if you choose to reject Jesus and, and not believe in the work that he has done on the cross for the salvation of your soul, not until that point of, of, of a life of unbelief, not just a momentary lapse of faith or belief, but you see, the sin of rejection of the free gift of God, 
who is only found in the man Christ Jesus. We see a great example of this in Acts 2.37. In Acts chapter 2, this is when the, the, the day of Pentecost happened. And basically, this is that fulfillment of what we're seeing in John chapter 16. You see, John chapter 16, Jesus promises, I'm going to send the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is when he actually sends the Spirit. And Peter, who just, um, you know, a couple months ago, at this point in Acts 2, had rejected Christ in the sense of, of denying him before man, eventually repented of that. But that same Peter gets up and he begins to preach a sermon. And it wasn't because of how great the sermon was that, G that Peter preached, but the Bible says that 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. Why? Well, because of this. The Bible says, and when they heard this, ser uh, Peter's sermon, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, the word of God is only fueled by the Holy Spirit. That the only way that there's going to be any impact in the preaching of this book is because of the Spirit's power behind it. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit convict, convicts of sin. That when someone who is unsaved hears the word of God go forth by the power of the Spirit, not by the eloquence of the speaker or by how great the sermon was, or how great the gospel presentation was, but it's because the Spirit comes along to an unbeliever and says, hey, you have sin. You have sin, and it needs to be dealt with. And it's not just any sin, that you have the sin of unbelief, and there will be a consequence for that. You see, it, this is what the Holy Spirit does. And thank God. Thank God that it's not you and me that have to try to convince someone that they're a sinner. We simply share the word and it's the Holy Spirit's job to come and convince, to convict. Does that make sense? So this is always where the Holy Spirit starts is with sin. The second place he moves on to is righteousness, is righteousness. And notice in verse 10, he says, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Now, righteousness is one of those big church words, okay? It's one of those big Bible words that kind of you, you've probably heard most of your life, you're like, okay, righteousness, all right? I've heard about that, but maybe it would be hard to describe. But you see, if, if someone is righteous, then that means that they are right with God, okay? So think about righteousness as being right with God, that, that doing things and living a life, if you want to live a righteous life, it is living a life that is right with God. Now, you and I, we know we can't attain the righteousness that God requires because you and I have something and it's called sin. We already talked about that, that you and I have sin. And so what righteousness is being talked about here is not our righteousness, but the righteousness that is only found in Jesus. You see, man for years, thousands of years, have, have tried to make themselves right with God. They try to say, okay, I'm going to do, do good, I'm going to help the poor, and then I'll be right with God. God says, it's, it's like filthy rags before me. That, that human righteousness is tainted, covered with sin. And so it's not pure. It's not holy. That when you and I come to God on our own righteousness, it's going to do nothing. That it is only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice that it says that 
he says, because I go to my father and you see me no more, meaning it's connected back to the mission of Christ. You see, Jesus's righteousness, because who lived a sinless life? Jesus. He lived the righteous life that you and I can't live because we have sinned. And so it is only the righteousness that is found in Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of this truth and, and, and convicts the world of the truth that, that you cannot come to God on your own. Do you know that? You can't. You are not worthy. But Jesus, when you come on the basis of Jesus, he is worthy. It is his righteousness. He is right with God. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just uphold what true righteousness is, but who it is. Does that make sense? And it's the spirit that convicts a man of his sin, but then points him to the one that will make him sinless, that will make him righteous. Philippians chapter three, verse nine. This is a really big verse. You guys got to get this. The Bible says, not having, this is Paul speaking, he says, not having my own righteousness or being right with God, which is from the law, which won't really make you right with God, but that which is by faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You see, this is the amazing thing of the gospel is that God says, you can't be made right with me on your own. And so I'm going to give you the righteousness of Jesus. Does that make sense? It's awesome. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does to the world. It says, you can't make it and you need righteousness because the requirement for heaven is perfection. Did you know that? It is perfection and you and I just don't have it, but Jesus does. And so the third thing, and finally that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of and convinces them of is of judgment. Verse, verse 11, look in your Bibles. Verse 11 says, and of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, the Holy Spirit not only convinces and convicts those in the world of their sin, of the righteousness that's found in Jesus, but also of the judgment to come. Did you guys know everyone's going to face judgment? Every single person. You see, for you and I, it's a judgment as Christians, where punishment has already been taken away. But the focus here is on Satan. He says, because the ruler of this world, which is Satan, is already judged. You see, Jesus says that, that Satan's already judged because it was the cross that was the ultimate divine judgment against Satan, making Jesus the victor. It is that picture of the, of the head of the serpent being crushed by the Savior, by the Messiah. And so Satan has actually already been judged. He's already been, his, his, his sentence has just not yet been fulfilled. Satan will get his, but so will you and I if we're apart from Jesus, if we are apart from that righteousness. You see, no one wants to believe in judgment. Isn't that true? No one wants to believe that there is going to be accountability. It's the thing that, that so many people try to convince themselves. No, it's just, it's, there's, gonna be, there's not going to be any you know, great white throne judgment that the Bible speaks about. But you see, this is one of Satan's best lies. And the Holy Spirit seeks to convince people otherwise. The biggest lie that people believe is that there's no judgment coming. That no, you, you won't be held accountable for the way that you live. You know, 
you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to die and it'll, and it'll all be good. If you're apart from Jesus, it won't be good. You will face judgment. And if you don't have the righteousness of God in your life, you will account for the way that you lived. And so just in, in summary of this, sin is truth about men, okay? The Holy Spirit convicts the world. Righteousness is a truth about God, is that it is found in, in the righteousness of God. And then the judgment is really the, the combination of them both in the sense that, that you and I, if we don't have the righteousness of God, and we, obviously we all have sin, then the judgment's not going to go so well. But if we have sinned, but we have the righteousness of God, then judgment is going to look a lot different for the Christian. You see, without the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of men in the world, no one would ever be able to come to, to Christ. That it is the Spirit who is the initiator. He is the one who knocks on the door of men's hearts, and it is God who draws men to himself, the Bible says. Yes, they still have to respond. It doesn't mean man doesn't respond, but God initiates, and he initiates by convicting and convincing men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Pretty awesome stuff, right? And so this is what the Holy Spirit does in the world. This is what would enable the disciples as they go out to have impact, you see, if the disciples were sent out into the world, but Jesus never sent the Holy Spirit, you and I would not be sitting here today. That this was all part of the mission of Jesus. And so at this point, Jesus shifts his attention from this very clear role of the Holy Spirit within the world to the role of the Holy Spirit within our lives, okay? And this is kind of where we, we close the last handful of verses, the role of the Holy Spirit in the world was convicting of sin, righteousness, judgment. But the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is a little bit different. This is for someone who already is convinced of the sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so Jesus' teaching was not yet done in the disciples. Look in your Bibles and look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You guys see that? He says, I, Jesus says, I have so much more to tell you. Have you ever felt like that with someone? Maybe they're leaving and you're like, I have so much more to tell you. Well, Jesus was training and, and teaching the disciples. And he says, I have so much more I want to tell you. But he says, you're not able to bear them now. You see, it would be the Holy Spirit who would continue the training. Because for them... The disciples, they couldn't handle what Jesus wanted to tell them. The word bear, it means this. It means to understand or accept, to comprehend. That the Bible says that at this point in time, the disciples just, they weren't able to, to completely grasp all the things that Jesus wanted to tell them. That, that his training, his teaching had come to a stop. And it would be the spirit of truth that would lead the disciples into the full scope and application of the truth that Jesus had poured into their lives. That it would be the spirit kind of who would take over the teaching and the training. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's awesome. And so this happens by one thing. Look in your Bibles and look at verse 13. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. You see, this happens. The role of the Holy Spirit in our life is guidance. This is what the Spirit wants to do in your life. This is what the Spirit of God did in the lives of the disciples. The word guidance, it means to lead, to instruct. It means to explain. God wants to do this in your life. But I wonder how many of you experience this. Don't tell me. But I wonder how many of you even understand what this means. Well, hopefully, in just a few minutes, I'll be able to explain fully what that looks like in our lives. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul tells us this, that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Meaning, or, or, or daughters of God, it's definitely interchangeable. That the mark of the child of God is being led by his spirit. Now just take a moment, I want you to close your eyes. Are you led by God in your life? Just think about it. In what ways? Think about, think about your day yesterday or any days this week. Were, was there any moment that, that you sensed the Holy Spirit wanting to lead you? Just think about it. You see, this is something, you can open your eyes, this is something that Jesus has been instilling into the disciples, that I'm leaving, but the Spirit is going to be with you. Remember back in John 14, verse 26, The Bible says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance things that I said to you. You know, just a side note, the Holy Spirit doesn't do this separately from the word of God, meaning meaning he does it in tandem. He does it connected to the scriptures, meaning if you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something, but it's completely a contrary to what God has said in his word, it is not the Holy Spirit. That is either yourself um, or, or that is, uh, you know, the, the enemy influencing you in some way. But it is, the Holy Spirit is always connected. We'll never do anything outside of what God has already said in his word. And there's an element to this for the disciples that was, that was a, that's a little bit different for you and I. Because a lot of disciples they ended up writing parts of the New Testament, right? Like Matthew, like John, who we're in right now. And so for them, the Holy Spirit was even going to be almost more with them to an extent in the sense of, of a different calling, right? For them, they, they were penning the scriptures that God would, would tell them of things to come like he told John of the future in the book of Revelation. And it's an awesome thing. But for you and I, there is still an application Guys, he wants to guide you. God desires to lead you and to instruct you in your life. And it's not just by, just by studying the word of God, but it's by living your life with the Lord. Have you ever heard anyone say, you know, I, I heard from the Lord? Raise your hand. Or, uh, or God told me. Have you guys ever heard anyone say that? What does that mean? Have you ever thought about like, man, what, what, man, how do they hear from God? Did they have like his number or something? Did they text him? What, what, was it like over Instagram? Like how did, how did someone hear from God? 
What does this mean? How does someone hear from God? Well, I believe when, when people are saying that, I believe what they're referring to most of the time, unless they're a little out there, is that this happens through the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. That God lays an, an impression upon the heart of the believer. He leads ever so slightly to the left or right. And at times he, he, he pulls back the reins. Have you guys ever been horseback riding? Maybe you guys ride horses. Uh, well, for the person on the back of the horse, they, the person has the reins, right? Do you know what that is? It's like that kind of that leather strap that contains. And, and that's how they control the horse, right? I think Caitlin would know a lot better than me. But, but, you know, if you've ever gone horseback riding, you usually don't need to like, you know, yank on those things, right? It would be probably really bad. Usually it's just the ever so slight pull this way and the ever so slight pull that way. Occasionally, if you're like by a cliff, yeah, you got to like yank back on those things to stop the horse, right? But the horse can choose to listen or, or, or to disobey you, right? Even if you have the reins, the horse still has the choice. Uh, and if it's a wild one, then it might be an interesting ride. But in a, in a similar way, I want you to picture this. You and I have handed the reins of our life over to someone else. That's what you did. When you received Jesus as your, as your Lord, you said, God, before you had the reins, you went where you want, you did what you want. But now you say, God, I'm handing the reins over to you. I'm putting you on the throne of my life. And, and he guides us by his Holy Spirit in our life. And it's not always this, this amazing revelation from God. Usually the Spirit, how he guides us, it's just by that, a little bit this way, a little bit that way. And he's speaking, and, it, and it's still, it's, it's small but direct. You know, there's a story. I want you to turn your Bibles. If you have your ribbon, put your ribbon there. But I want you to turn to 1 Kings. I want you guys to see this. 1 Kings chapter 19. I notice that a lot of you guys are getting up to use the restroom. And of course, if it's an emergency, go. We don't want you having an accident. However... If you guys can, in the future, just, just work on, uh, you know, going to the restroom before service, knowing how that works. If you have to go, totally cool. Even, you know, you're like, well, oh, I really had to go when I was about to get up, but then he made a comment about the restroom. So should I, if you need to go, go. Uh, but, but let's try to stay focused on the word, okay? And you guys will get that same exhortation as you guys get to high school and then the main sanctuary. Um, I mean, they, they won't talk specifically about the bathroom stuff. Uh, but, but the focus of, of when we're teaching God's word, we want as minimal distractions as possible. Does that make sense? Sound good? All right, cool. So 1 Kings 19. Have you guys ever heard of a guy named Elijah in the Bible? Oh man, Elijah. That guy's legit. Uh, but he also had some downs for sure. But check this out. 1 Kings 19. This is when uh, Elijah had his down moment in his life when he ran away and was hiding in a cave. And the Bible says this in verse 11. It says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So that was, a, that was an audible voice that Elijah heard. A lot different than what you and I hear now. But it says this, and behold, verse 11, the, oh wait, I'm almost, nope. There you go. Verse 11, and behold, the Lord passed by 
And a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks and the pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, for you and I, Jesus is not physically with us. We're not going to hear his physical voice. But if you're a believer in here, God lives in you. And he's going to use yourself to guide you. It's not that you're going to hear like a different voice. It's going to be your own. It's going to be still and small and just sometimes just moving a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. Now, at times, the Holy Spirit might say to you these exact words. What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Joel? What are you doing here, Matthew? What are you doing here, Amy? And, and you might hear those words because that means you're, you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. And so no doubt the Holy Spirit speaks into our life in regards to sin. That, and this is what it looks like to be led by him. That sometimes it's in the area of when we're not doing what we're supposed to. You know, some people chalk it up to their conscience. That, that for unbelievers, they just say, oh man, that's just like your, your inner voice. And for unbelievers, I actually believe that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like what we talked about, sin, righteousness, and judgment. But for believers, it's so much more than just the conviction, but it's a leading, it's a guidance. And to hear him, though, you have to pay attention. You have to want to listen. And I think so many of us live our lives, we're so distracted. Our lives are so busy. And we, we fail to take time to recognize what God is leading us in our life. And yes, sin is a big part of this guidance where the spirit of God is in your life. He'll remind you that, that you're not your own. He'll remind you that you made a commitment to follow Jesus. And what will that look like? Well, it looks like when there's that opportunity to lie, to get out of something. And that moment, if you're listening, the Holy Spirit might say, it's through your own voice, still small, but you might say, don't lie about it. It might be that, might be that small, it might be that still, or that extra look at something you know you shouldn't be watching, and the Spirit says, look away. Or that moment that you begin to talk bad about someone, and the Spirit says, I died for them. And it might be in that area of sin, but it is so much more than that. God is not, just, is not just always trying to pull back your reins. There's times where he's trying to advance you in your life and trying to lead you and guide you. It's so much more than that. It might be when you walk into a room and you, and you see someone alone and sad and the spirit says, encourage them. Or when you see someone being mistreated that the spirit says, stand up for them. Or when you have an opportunity to serve someone and Jesus says, die to yourself. See, there's not, there's not this voice, but it, it is that 
inkling. It is that impression upon your heart. It's hard to describe. You just have to listen. And when you listen, obey. Do what God is telling you to do in your life. It's not just you. If, if, if you're a believer, that means God's in you and he's, and he's trying to influence you. He's attempting to lead and guide you, but so often we dismiss it. So often we, we question his voice. It's so easy to shrug off, so easy to push away. Do you guys know that? You can do that. Don't do it. The next time you, you, you experience that, that still small voice in your life, it's not, it's not you, it's God. As long as it lines up with scripture and you know it, and I think you guys have experienced it, but you, you may be, and, and I think at times you've obeyed it. You've obeyed him. But I think far too often we, we just shrug it off. We just dismiss it. And so when you feel that leading and you experience that impression upon your heart, follow him. Does that make sense? If you're a believer, that means God's trying to guide you. He's trying to lead you. And Jesus assured the disciples that it would be to their advantage that he would leave, that it would be in their best interest. He told them that it would be better because rather than just being with them, he would be in them. You see, the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians 2 that the Holy Spirit is in us. And so we're connected with God in a way that we can't be connected with anyone else. Because think about it, even, even think about the closest person in your life. Maybe it's a best friend, maybe it's your uncle, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your mom. But you can only be so close with them. But your mom or your best friend's spirit is never going to be in you. This is not, that'd be weird. But God's spirit is in us. And the, the spirit of God is who God is. And the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a he, it's not a force. It's not this magical thing. It's God in you. And God wants a relationship. God wants to lead you. You see, the training for the disciples was not over. It was merely changing the method. And so God still has much to teach you, much to guide you. And it would be the Holy Spirit who would come into the world to bring that, that much needed conviction of sin and of righteousness and judgment to a lost and dying world. But it's the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives to guide us. And so for you today, worship team, you guys can come out. Have you surrendered under that conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are you a believer? Is God really in you? Have you come to that point where you've seen your sin and surrendered to the Savior? Have you tried to come to God on your own goodness saying, oh, well, I think I'm going to be good enough. I, I hope I get to heaven because I'm not that bad of a person. If you don't have the righteousness of Jesus in your life, then you're not good enough. Guys, wait, wait before you pack up. Have you realized that there is a coming judgment? That you will face God one day. And for the Christian, they face God in, at the bema seat of Christ, the Bible says. And that's, and that's in regards to rewards, not punishment. But for the non-believer, they will face the great white throne judgment. And God will have the books laid out. And if your name is not in the book of life. You will be apart from him forever. And so the question is, are you covered in the blood of Jesus today? I hope you are. If you're not, and you want to make that decision today, the Bible says that you have to repent of your sin. 
that first conviction of the Holy Spirit that he does in our life. You have to recognize, I need, I have sin, and I need, I need someone's forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness. I'm not just sin, I've sinned against God. The second thing is, is, is to believe upon the life and the work of Jesus, that he did come, that he did live a life that was sinless. You guys know what I'm t- telling you right now? This is the gospel. This is what Bible, the Bible says, that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, of what he did, that, that he came, that he died, and that he rose again, that he sent into heaven. And that if you confess him as Lord, it means to receive him into your life and say, God, I'm giving you the reins. You see, I believe some of you today, you haven't given him the reins. You know about him, but you haven't given it to him. Well, today I want to give you an opportunity Now, if you are a son or daughter of God, you might be saying, no, I know I am his. I know I'm his. Without a doubt, I'm going to heaven and the Holy Spirit is in me. I want to challenge and exhort and encourage you. Be led by the Spirit. If you here in junior high can just start to begin to recognize what God's leading looks like in your life, oh man, God's going to do amazing and awesome stuff in and through you. But you got to know him first. And so you can turn the lights off. You guys can close your eyes. And I just want to give an opportunity with eyes closed, heads bowed. I want to give an opportunity for you guys. If if you want to receive Jesus today, then you just got to believe on him. You got to repent of your sin. You got to You got to do those steps. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come into your life and he will begin to guide you. He will be with you. The Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you, that you are forever his and nothing can change that. And so if this is a decision that you've made before and you were genuine about it, then don't question it. Just trust that, trust the word of God. When the word of God says, you believe on me, you shall be saved, then you are saved. You don't need to get re-saved. Hey, that's why the Bible says you are born again. You, don't, you can't get born again again. It doesn't, doesn't work. Just like you can't be born into the world again, you can't be born into the kingdom of God again. And so for the believer, you just walk in the spirit of God. Because close your eyes. But for the, the unbeliever, I know that sounds so like, what, unbeliever? I'm not, I'm, you might be a believer, but are you a Christian? There's a difference. The Bible says that even demons believe and they tremble before God. They won't be in heaven. They believe in God, but they don't trust him. And so today, if you want to put your trust in Christ, I just want you to re- repeat a prayer after me, okay? The prayer is nothing s- special. It's just to lead you in that. And so it's between you and God. It's in your own heart before him. And so If you're a believer in here, then you can join me in the prayer because this is the prayer you've prayed and you can just join me and we'll encourage those who maybe are praying it in sincerity for the first time, okay? So if that's you today, you just believe it in your heart. God, I come before you. If you guys want to repeat it with me. God, I come before you. I thank you that you would want to save me. I recognize that I have sin and I've sinned against you. I repent of my sin. I turn from it and I turn towards you, Jesus. I believe that you came 2,000 years ago. You, You lived a life that I couldn't live. 
You died a death for me. And I believe you rose again, conquering the grave, defeating death, and ascending into heaven. I choose to put my trust in you. I want to receive you as not only my savior, but as my Lord. I give you the reins of my life. I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's awesome. Now, if, if you guys prayed that prayer for the first time today in, in genuine sincerity, that means angels in heaven, that the host of heaven, God himself is rejoicing that, that your soul has just went from death to life. And so if that was you today and you, and you prayed that prayer, I'd love to know. I'd love to just pray with you and encourage you. And it's, it's nothing of embarrassment. It's absolutely of, of joy and excitement that you were on a, on a road by nature to death and you have been saved, that God has spoken to your heart and you have responded. That's an exciting thing. If you guys need prayer for anything else or want to talk through what it looks like to be led by the Spirit and be led by God in your life, we'd love to pray with you. So you can stand and let's, let's praise God. God, we, we praise you today. Receive our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.